Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. When you get a chance, may I have a second slice of peach cobbler? Sure thing. All the mode again? Please. Coming right up. You're looking a little green around the gills, Detective Krause. I'm not used to talking about decapitations over lunch. You get used to it after a while. No, Antoinette, you never do. So, you found both heads? We did. The butcher made a half-assed attempt to bury them, but the soil was sandy and he left the scalps exposed. Human hair sticking out of the sand and ruffling in the breeze draws the eye like nothing else. No wonder the patrol cop puked. We spent nearly six hours examining the scene and unearthing the body parts and evidentiary objects with flashlights and lanterns. We find something, mark the spot, then load what we found atop sheets of brown paper for eventual transfer to the coroner's morgue. We used butcher paper, and believe me, the irony wasn't lost on Pete and me. By midnight, we had our own excavated chamber of horrors. You relish the geographic details, right? Maybe this will mean something to you. You got a pen? Here, take mine. You got a piece of paper? A napkin will do. It reminds me of the old times. All right, the scene... Look like this. Let's say right here is where we found the freshly dead body of the headless man in black socks. X marks the spot. 30 feet away, about here, was where we found the badly decomposed body of the second headless man, the body with no socks and rust-tinged flesh. 20 feet from the first body, about here, is where we found the two pairs of severed genitals in a neat little pile. A few feet away from those fleshy obscenities, about here, was where we found the severed head matching the first torso. You, you getting this? Now the second severed head, the one that matched the sockless victim, was about 75 feet away from its torso, about here. Near the second head, we found some bloody clothes, white t-shirt, blue suit coat, a check cap, and men's underwear. It was our belief that the clothes belonged to the first victim, the one who wasn't as right. We never found a second set of clothes, so victim number two had in all likelihood been as naked as a jaybird when he was carted down Jackass Hill like side of beef. Not far from the clothes, we found a piece of rope and a rusty pail containing what looked like motor oil. Those last two items could have been connected to the body, but they might not have been. The whole scene wasn't so much a body dump as a scavenger hunt. That was everything? Hey, all body parts accounted for. That was a win where the Cleveland butcher was concerned. 
But if you're asking if we found any clues as to who the suspect was, no, nothing. But you wouldn't have known you were dealing with the butcher then. Semantics, Detective Kraus. The press hadn't given the killer his sobriquet yet true, but trust me when I tell you, we all knew we were dealing with a ruthless killer hell-bent on decapitation and dismemberment. And Gus Frayne? Again? <laughs> what? All roads lead to Frayne in your limited worldview, Detective Antoinetti? Sooner rather than later, Pike. Spill. We're all ears. In that case, fine. Glad to oblige. The way I remember it, Pete and I get back to Central Station about 1 a.m. There's maybe a dozen hobos who'd been rounded up in Kingsbury Run still waiting to be questioned. We're all cuffed, sitting on benches, chained to the wall like we used to do with rioters. I'm not proud to say this, but uh, all the bums to a man were sporting facial cuts and bruises. Our, our guys had roughed him up. The desk sergeant, gruff fat guy by the name of Fuller, he jerks his thumb at the closed doors to the back rooms. Fuller says to me and Pete, Four in holding. Rooms three and six are sitting tight. Both are overdue for their second round. Pete says he'll take three, so that leaves me with interrogation room six. They gutted that room years ago. Made it into a storage room. After what happened in there, I'm not surprised. I never heard anything about this. You're what, 35? Too young, son. Picture this. It's a small room, bad lighting, scarred metal table bolted to the floor, two shabby wooden chairs, and a tin ashtray. Now there's fresh streaks of blood decorating the walls and splattering the ceiling, like a red-themed painting by that modern artist guy. What's his name? Jackson Pollock. I get it. It was the beatdown room. At the very least. So... I stroll into interrogation room six about 2 a.m., ready to rumble verbally, that is. And I'd taken off my suit coat so I could show off my holster gun, you know, establish my authority and demonstrate I mean business. And I'd loosen my tie and rolled up my sleeves, too. I've got a thin file on the guy in the room in my hand, like I had him dead to rights. He'd been picked up on vacancy charges a couple times, along with urinating in public, so I figure I knew exactly what sort of slob I am dealing with. Five years into the Prussian, I'd seen hundreds of men just like him. Probably in his late 30s, but hard living had made him look a good 10 years older. Lank and greasy hair falling into his eyes, matted bushy beard giving him a wild man look. Filthy trench coat, three sizes too big, hanging well past his knees. Trousers patched up so many times they looked like a crazy quilt. His boots had holes in the soles, fellas, with ragged twine for shoelaces. We get the picture. It's not a pretty one, is it? But it's not an unfamiliar one either. Not in 1935. I'll admit, the sight of him hunched over in a metal chair with a chain around his waist bolted to a D-ring in the floor stopped me in my tracks. Why? That's standard prisoner restraint. Probably because he'd been beaten to a pulp. His nose had been broken. One eye was swollen shut. His lips were split open, his face puffy. The blood was already crusting around cuts near his hairline, but his one good eye, it was clear. Clear and piercing as a blue summer sky, and I'll be damned if he isn't staring openly at me, like he knows me or something. Only I'm pretty sure I've never seen him before in my life. Not until I spotted him in the crowd of hobos at the bottom of Jackass Hill a couple hours earlier. I asked him, what the hell happened to you? But he doesn't say a word. 
So I leave the room and I come back with some ice cubes wrapped in cloth. Then I unlock the chain around his waist and uncuff his hands. Figure this guy's no threat. He's not going anywhere unless it's in an ambulance or the back of a morgue wagon. At least put it on your eye, I tell him. It should help bring some of the swelling down. He just keeps staring at me. But to give him credit, he did put the cold pack against his face. He had to use his left hand, seeing his, his right arm had just hung there useless at his side. His shoulder had been dislocated. I can still remember the way his fingers trembled and the way the blood from the cut near his hairline ran down in rivulets down his face and dripped onto the table's splat. 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 We get the picture. Vividly. And you must have a knack for that sort of thing, huh? Visualization? I'm more of a classic empiricist. Gotta be there in the actual moment with all five senses firing like pistons to grasp the greater meaning. Get to the fucking interview, Pike. I'm Detective Pike. Now, don't feel obligated to introduce yourself. I've got a file on you right here. It's thin, but it's revealing all the same. Says your name is Lucius Augustus Frayne. What a mouthful. (laughs) Your parents have some kind of inexplicable affinity for the Romans. How's the turn type for you? That's peculiar. Seeing as when I walked in here and took note of your injuries, I figured you'd smart mouth somebody. Like one of our boys in blue, maybe make a disparaging remark about somebody's wife, their mother, sister, best girl. Is that you shaking your head in the negative? Well, hallelujah, we're communicating. If you didn't offend somebody, I honestly don't understand why anybody take the time and energy to beat you within an inch of your life. Less, your attacker was a bully and sadist. I must admit that's a possibility. Sadly, there's bad apples in every bunch, Mr. Frayne. Even in the police, that's the nature of the beast. Listen, you might want to hold that ice against the cut in your forehead. The cold might slow the blood flow. You're going to need a mop in here as it is. Now, as I was saying, or unless you're the suspect in my double homicide case and nobody bothered to let me know, is that it? You show some bullheaded reluctance to confess? Or maybe your natural reticence rubs somebody the wrong way? Even I can see how your aloof manner might get under somebody's skin. I'm a good-natured fellow by all accounts, but even I'm getting annoyed here. You're looking at me like I know you, and I don't. I'm sure of it. I don't know anybody named Frayne, and I don't recognize you from Adam. And I don't mean as you are now, all fucked up. No offense, but your own mother wouldn't recognize you if she sat next to you on a bus. Contrary to popular opinion, silence is not a virtue, Mr. Frayne. Ah, I get it. Maybe you subscribe to the proverbial saying, speech is silver, silence is golden. Admirable. I'm sure, but not in a police interrogation room. Silence is viewed as being uncooperative. All right, I'll talk. You listen. As you might have guessed, I'd love to hear myself vocalize. You know, Mr. Frayne, when I, when I walk into a suspect interview, I've got a tried-and-true routine. I exude bone on me, all hail fellow, well met with the suspect's name, tripping off my tongue, disarming. Charming, even. And then I insult them. Insults have got to have some truth, or they don't sting. Like, with you, I would have said that you stink to high heaven. That if I were the equivalent of a canary in a coal mine, I'd be asphyxiated already. 
that I'd be lucky if I ever got your repulsive stench out of my shirt. Piss and body odor? Sometime in recent memory, you surely crapped your pants. I, I'd offer that you may be down on your luck, but personal hygiene, Mr. Frayne, should be the last thing to go. At least then you could hold on to some self-respect. That's insulting, but it's based in fact. And I'd be watching your face, especially here at the corner of your eyes or your mouth, where these microscopic muscles twitch or compress when you're under stress. The rapidity of your eyelid blinks, your pupils too. They're ever adjusting like a camera aperture, ratcheting in and out. Physiological response yoked to your emotions, whether you like it or not. And that way I'd attain your baseline, so to speak. So I would know how you respond when I start down the very road you want to avoid. I'd know your tells. I'd read you. Then I'd pull a half pack of cigarettes and a book of matches out of my shirt pocket and set them on the table, like I'm doing now. Carry these around for just such an occasion. Just let them sit there, like an olive branch. You wonder if I'm trying to befriend you. And then I'd say something self-deprecating, like I crapped my pants once myself when I was drunk. And my admission would, would loosen the tension. You know, spontaneous catharsis, just like like a dog rolls over on its back to show its belly, I, I would have made myself vulnerable, Mr. Frayne. Because of that, you could relax more in my presence, be more likely to, likely to share or confess or sell your criminal compatriots down the river, especially after I offered you something like a meal or information or a cigarette. Do you smoke? Yeah, I do. And please take one. You can't use your other arm? No. Broken? Maybe. Ribs, for sure. Shoulders dislocated. Here, let me help you with that. Thank you. Do you smoke? I do not. Do you mind if I do? Go ahead. Look, I believe you're the first person to ever ask me that who genuinely seemed interested in my reply. So, no, in this particular occasion, I, I don't mind. Might help to alleviate the reek of your body odor. No offense, small room and close space. Look, the way I see it, Mr. Frayne, I've got a problem. My tried and true routine's not gonna work in your case because somebody went and beat the holy shit out of you. Nearly fucking killed you by the looks of it. Your face is so swollen, it could legitimately be mistaken for a plum about to burst. Whatever tells you may have had around your eyes or your mouth aren't gonna show. And you don't seem to blink at all. Now, don't jerk or flinch away, but I'm going to put two fingers over the vein in your wrist so I can register your pulse. Got it. Steady, not ready. You might survive until dawn after all. So let's get this over with quick, Mr. Frayne. Okay, shall we? I want you to look me straight in the eye. I'll keep my fingers on your pulse to ascertain if your heart rate speeds up, and I'll be keeping a close eye on your pupils to see if they contract or expand. Did you kill either of those two men in Kingsbury Run? No. Do you know who did? No. Do you know either one of them? As a friend or acquaintance or somebody you passed on the street? I don't know. Do you have a picture you can show me? You didn't see the bodies? Or at least the heads? No. Alrighty then. That's all I need to know. You're free to go. That's it? You just let the guy go? That's how the interview ended. Well, I figured it, boys. Frayne was telling the truth. His heart rate didn't fluctuate. His breathing didn't alter. He didn't even fucking blink. 
Ergo, he didn't know a damn thing. So yeah, cut him loose. He staggered off into the darkness like a silhouette in a scary movie. I figured he was in search of a lair where he'd curl up like a stray dog and lick his wounds. I had nothing to hold him on. Our guys had already gone to his rooming house and tossed it and found nothing. No bloody rags or sharp knives. End of story. I didn't see hide nor hair of Gus Frain until the following January. If you'll both excuse me, I... Hold on a minute, Pike. There's a lot more we want to know. I'm sure there is, but I'm an old man, and I'm in dire need of my afternoon nap. You've got me at your disposal for another day or two, but if you're still itching to hear more before the day is out, let's meet up again around five. Telephone me first. I'm roaming at the Sheraton, but then again, you know that since you booked it and you paid for it. You're not going anywhere, Pike. Sit down. I'm not trying to challenge your authority, Detective Antoinetti, or be unaccommodating. I'm, I'm just plumb worn out. Didn't get much more than a wink of sleep on the bus. All right, go on. We'll pick up the tab. Thanks. And this fiver isn't to pay for my lunch. It's for Mabel. My wife tells me there's a special place in heaven for geezers who tip well. You're really just going to let him walk off? It's been 30 years, Ed. He's not going anywhere. He came by public bus, and now he's going to be luxuriating at a room at the Sheridan. That's probably most comfort he's enjoyed since he's retired. And like the old man said, he loves to hear himself talk. We're the audience he's been craving. I say we give the old coot enough rope and he'll hang himself. A few hours won't make a difference. Let's head back to the basement study up. Check, please. Is anybody listening? You mean, has somebody got their ear plastered to the door to interrogation room six? Hell no. What's going on 3 a.m., Mr. Frayne? Nobody gives a damn what I'm up to. We could be playing go fish in here for nickel pots for all anybody cares. If one day you find yourself recounting today's events, you'll need to end your story before you get to this point, Alan. How the fuck do you know my first name? Listen to me. This is very important. You're going to have to substitute lies for the truth for the rest of your life. What you tell anybody in the future about what's about to happen will need to be a fabricated narrative. What the hell are you talking about? You really got thumped in the head, didn't you? You scrambled your brains. You're looking around like you think somebody's peering at us through a keyhole. They're, they're not, Mr. Frank. This room isn't set up to be observed. That's what the cop who was in here before you said. What cop? He didn't introduce himself. Uniformed? Yes, but he'd taken his badge off. He told me this is the room where suspects hang themselves. The guilty ones, out of remorse for what they've done. He told me they've been known to use their restraints, or their belts, or even their shoelaces. He pointed up at that pipe. He actually said that? He told me he'd be back to see me later tonight to cut my body down. Get up. Don't worry, I'm not gonna put a noose around your neck. I'm gonna get you out of here. My car's in the back lot. Let's go. Here, let me help you up. Jeez, can, can you even smell yourself? No free showers where you dwell, I get it, but Lake Erie's a cheap bus right away. Before winter comes, you need to take a long, long dip, Mr. Frank. Hell, I'll even lend you some soap. I'll be doing the world a fucking favor. Here we are, home sweet home. From the looks of you, I would have thought you were living rough down in the run, but this isn't exactly Shangri-La, is it? Just another crappy rooming house for indigents. They even have a working toilet in that place. You didn't go and die on me, did you now? 
Open your one good eye if you're still among the living. Okay, I'll take that as a yes. Okay. Now, I'm, I'm officially returning your personal property, so take note. Okay, items as follows. A used bus ticket, a comb, which you clearly never use, Ohio ID card, an old watch, not working, stick of peppermint gum, couple of keys, and 37 cents, quarter dime, and two pennies. That concludes the inventory of your pathetic collection of personal possessions. You drive a light, Mr. Frayne. Look, I'm really sorry about what happened to you. You're within your rights to file a complaint. I should be driving you to the hospital. I need your help, Detective Pike. But not to go to the hospital. There's somewhere I need to be, and I'm not sure I can make it. Okay, where to? Take a right at the next corner. Keep going. Across the little bridge. Up ahead is Millionaire's Row. Keep going. Left here. The third house on the right. It's too early to go begging door to door, so I'm not letting you out in front of some big shot industrialist mansion. That'd be me aiding and abetting vagrancy. It's a rental. It's still a fucking three-story mansion. Hey, where are you go, Frank? God damn it! This is breaking and entering. I have a key. It's the same key you returned to me. How did a bum like you end up having a key to a colossal house like this? There's hardly a stick of furniture in this place. I told you, it's a rental. That crystal chandelier probably put somebody back a pretty penny. Imported from someplace like Austria in the last century, I'll bet. Winkly. I'll be right down. I need to get something. Is this marble? Why the hell do rich folks favor life-size statues of people in their front parlors? Especially naked ones. Frayne, what the hell are you up to? Do not move. I've got a gun pointed at the back of your head. Get your fucking hand out of that dresser right now. I'm not reaching for a weapon. Hands in the fucking air. I can't raise my right arm, Alvin. You know that. I swear to God, I will blow your fucking brains against the wall if you do not drop whatever is in your hand right now. Just look at it. It's my identification. Oh, shit. You're a federal agent? Federal Bureau of Investigation on special undercover assignment with the Treasury Department. I'm gonna turn around now, so don't shoot. Man, you could have said something. <laughs> you never paused long enough for me to get a word in edgewise, Alvin. Come on, you drive. I need to get a look at those heads. Crooked River is created by Dave Beasley and Cassie Wells. Starring Zachary Ray Sherman, Jeff Tendall, Miles Sullivan, Andrew Garrett, Albie Selznick, Stephanie Myers, Levi Petrie, Joseph Covino, Glenn Payne, Nate Ward, Taylor Jury Scorse, Jessica Andres, Dave Huber, Gail Trudeau, Raphael Goldstein, and Alexandra Vaughn. Post-production sound by Joe Morales and Elf Tree Studio. A Haywood production.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.